Why should we neglect the joy of his presence? Why rush through life as if spending time with him did not matter? Why trifle with eternity and become an unfruitful branch? Why not abide? Why not remain? Why not stay in his presence and let his grace wash over us? Why not feast on his word and let his promises transform us? Why not meditate upon his goodness and behold his character until we're changed, profoundly changed? That's Pastor Mark Finley, and this is Hope Lives 365. At Hope Lives 365, we believe God answers prayer. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, keep in mind this telephone number throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Here now is Pastor Mark Finley with today's Hope Lives 365. John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6. Jesus says the sixth I am statement of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is one of the most marvelous statements of Jesus, more often misunderstood because it's looked at superficially. Jesus says, I'm the way. But when you find me the way, I'm going to lead you into truth. And when you find the truth, it's to live the life. I am the way of salvation. But Jesus says, that's not enough. You find me as the way of salvation. But then I have so much more to reveal to you, so much more truth. And I want to guide you into the most abundant life possible as you discover more truth. So when we follow on Jesus the way, we can expect him to give us more truth. There's never a place where the Christian stays. He's always revealing more and more to us. I am the way, the truth. Why? So you live the life. And then we come to this marvelous statement in John chapter 15, the last of the I am statements. And we want to spend a few moments on this this morning. John chapter 15, John 15. We're looking there at verse 1 and 2. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, or he prunes it. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. Now notice Jesus says, I am the vine. That was a very common expression to Israel. All through the Old Testament, Israel is mentioned as a vine. In fact, when the Jews came up on the Passover or on any of the Jewish feasts to the temple, as you enter the temple, there was a large golden vine on the outside of the temple. And then there were large clusters of grapes the size of a man, reminding Israel that they were to be the true vine that was to produce fruit. Now, Isaiah talks about Israel as that vine. And to understand John chapter 15, we need to go back to Isaiah chapter 5. So take your Bible, go back to Isaiah chapter 5. Because if we're going to fully understand the true vine of John 15, we need to understand Isaiah 5. Here in Isaiah 5, Jesus is calling out to his people Israel. Isaiah the 5th chapter. And we're looking at verses 1 through 7. Jesus says in Isaiah 5 verse 1, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved as a vineyard on a fruitful hill. He dug it up. He cleared out its stones. He planted it with choicest vine. Now don't miss this. My beloved has a vineyard. What does the beloved do? He cleans the vineyard. He takes out the stones. So this is speaking about God 
attempting to do everything possible for Israel to bear fruit. Then he continues in verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and you. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not done it? So Jesus says, I've done everything for Israel. There's nothing more I could have done. I've done everything. In other words, he sent the prophets to warn them. He sent message after message. What could have been done that he didn't do? Then he says, why then? When I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please tell me, what will I do to my vineyard? I'll take away its hedge. It'll be burned. I'll break down its wall. I'll lay it waste. Look at verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So this is the story in Isaiah chapter 5 of a Christ of incredible love who wants to save Israel, but Israel rebels against everything he does. Jesus cries out to Israel, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've given you opportunity after opportunity. I've sent you message after message through my prophets. I've worked miracle after miracle for you. I've opened the Red Sea for you. I've drowned the Egyptians for you. I've rained manna down from heaven for you, Israel. I've fed you in the wilderness. Water has poured out of the rock for you. I've led you to the promised land. But you've turned your back on my love. You've spited my goodness. In the light of all those blessings, what more could I have done for you? It seems to me that in this generation, to this man's heart, God is saying the same thing. He's saying, what more could I have done for you? I sent my Holy Spirit to your heart. What more could I have done for you? I've sent angels to bring you light. What more could I have done for you? I've sent you my word. What more could I have done for you? Oh, Israel, oh, church, don't turn your back on me. Oh, church, don't walk away from me. Oh, church, don't let the tottering pleasures of this world destroy eternal life. Jesus seems to be saying to us today, what more, what more could I have done? Abide in me. Rest in me. Find refuge in me. As the branch abides in the vine, so abide in me. John 15, verse 2, we look at the text. The text is an appeal to Israel, and it's appeal to modern Israel in the light of everything Christ has done. He left heaven. He tabernacled in human flesh. He experienced heartache and sorrow and poverty and disappointment. And the appeal of the living Christ, in the light of the sacrifice of Calvary, in the light of giving everything for us, the appeal of the living Christ is not to allow the cheap, tawdry pleasures of this world to turn us away from him. John 15, verse 1 and 2. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I'm interested in this verse. You see, what is fruit? What kind of fruit is he talking about? We get some help in Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Romans 6, verse 22. What kind of fruit is he talking about? When we read the Bible, we want to unpack the text. And not jump all over the Bible, but take a text and unpack it. What does that text mean? What's God saying through that text to you and me today? Romans chapter 6, you're looking at there at verse 22. What kind of fruit is he talking about? Romans 6 verse 22. But now having been set free from sin... 
And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Throughout the New Testament, the fruit has to do with character. We remember in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. So what Jesus is doing in your life and mine is working with us in a way so that we produce the fruits of character. In fact, what he's looking for is a character that reflects his image. What he's looking for is the lush fruit of patience and graciousness and unselfishness and kindness and compassion on a loving character. Not the brown, spotted, rotting fruit of sharpness and impatience and self-centeredness and egotistical, inflexible, me-first, proud arrogance. What Jesus is looking for is loving characters that produce the fruit of righteousness in their life. Now, how is that fruit produced? Jesus is a divine harvester. Jesus is a divine harvester. And he's a gardener. And here, the gardener tells us how he's going to produce fruit. Sometimes the gardener has to do some pruning. Sometimes the gardener has to do some cutting. What does he say? Verse 2, every branch, John 15, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. So if you are a fruit bearer for Jesus, and he's developing the fruit of your character, what can you expect him to be doing? You can expect him to be doing some pruning. Now, the divine pruner begins to prune away in our lives. Now, I am not going to pretend to be any great gardener, and every time I use a gardening illustration, I have to be careful. But when my wife and I, early in our lives, we always have had teams of people living in our home. You know what I mean? Six people, eight people, you know, because we're always training young people, and we're always trying to mentor people. And one of the nice things about looking back over 50 years of ministry is being able to see all these young people in the places they're in today. It's just very satisfying for us. But early in the time, we were existing on one pastoral salary. We had one salary. My wife wasn't working. We had two kids, third kid on the way. And I had about, I don't know how many teenagers were living in our home in New England at that time, seven, eight, seven people beside our family. So we had, you know, 11, 12 people in our home. And it was interesting to eat with us during those years, you know. So because of that, we had to do a lot of gardening. We would put up 3,000 quarts of fruits and vegetables a year. 3,000. Because, I mean, how are we going to feed this crew if we didn't do some work? So every Monday was gardening day. One of my favorite things was to plant tomatoes. Now, when you plant tomatoes, there's something called suckers. You know what a sucker is? You do. How many tomato planters I got here? You know what a sucker is, right? The sucker grows off the main stalk of the tomato. But does the sucker produce any tomatoes? It doesn't produce any. So you've got to break that sucker off, right? You've got to get rid of that thing. Because if that thing is growing there, it's going to suck the life out of that plant. And your tomatoes, they're going to be so small, you don't even want to eat those things. Pastor Mark Finley will continue with more in just a moment. Stay tuned. Hope Lives 365 is a donor-supported ministry. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. 
We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. If you have been blessed by our ministry, go to our website, hopelives365.com, or call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Mark Finley. It doesn't produce any. So you've got to break that sucker off, right? You've got to get rid of that thing. Because if that thing is growing there, it's going to suck the life out of that plant. And your tomatoes, they're going to be so small, you don't even want to eat those things. So you've got to get rid of those suckers. Now, at first, I didn't want to do that. I mean, I love the foliage on the plants. I mean, this is beautiful. Look at my plant. You know, it's great. It's growing. It's big. They said, those are suckers. You got to take those. I'm not taking those things off my plant. They look so good. You know, boom, you pull this one off, boom. And pretty soon that plant looks so skinny. But then the plant grows and grows and grows. And those good tomato plants can get this high and they can produce about a half a bushel of tomatoes on one plant. Why? You got to get rid of the suckers. So God's looking at your life. He said, all right, there's some suckers growing there. <laughs> I got to get rid of those things. I got to get rid of There goes one. Oh, Lord, no, please, please. I got to like that branch. You know, don't deal with that, Lord. Please let that go, you see. Now, here's an interesting statement. The divine gardener prunes us by getting rid of the suckers in our life. Because if God doesn't do that, what's going to happen? It's going to drain your spiritual life. That's what's going to take place. Now, sometimes it's painful to let go of some long-established habit. But God is a master, and he applies the knife. There is a remarkable statement in Desire of Ages, page 677, and it says this. Desire of Ages, if you're not familiar with it, is a book on the life of Christ. W.E. Beaumont at the Library of Congress says it's one of the best ever written on the life of Christ. It really is my favorite on the life of Christ. Desire of Ages, 677, it says this. The pruning will cause pain. The pruning will do what, everybody? Cause pain. But it is the Father who applies the knife. He works with no wanton hand or indifferent heart. There are branches trailing upon the ground. These must be cut loose from the earthly supports to which the tendrils are fastening. They are to reach heavenward and find their support in God. I am so glad that God is pruning your life. You missed it. Here is where you missed the point of the message. I'm so glad Pastor Finley's preaching this message today because the person next to me needs a lot of pruning. <laughs> And I hope God will do his work of pruning those people sitting right next to me. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, apply the message to my heart. Jesus, apply the message to my heart. Jesus, if I need some pruning, you apply that knife. Where there are suckers in my life that are draining off my spiritual experience, God, you do it. God, you do it. One day after church, a man came to his elder, not in this church, it was many miles away from here, and he said, Elder, I want you to pray for me. Elder, I want you to pray for me. Well, what do you want me to pray for? I am so impatient. I get impatient with my wife. I get impatient with my kids. I get impatient at work. I am so impatient, Elder. Would you pray for me? The elder says, sure, I'll pray for you. Let's go over here. And the elder begins praying like this. Dear Lord, this man is impatient and he needs to learn patience. Lord, I'm asking you to send him many trials this week. I'm asking you to send him many tribulations this week so he will learn patience. And the man says, stop it, stop it. I don't want to learn. 
You know, that theology is not so bad. Take your Bible, please. Turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 3. See, when God prunes you, there are times that God is going to allow you to go through trials so you see the depth of what's in your heart. And I will tell you this. I would rather get pruned in the sunshine than pruned in a terrible storm. And if you do not allow God to prune out of your life the unlovely traits of character, he's going to allow you to go through some storm in your life so that you will totally have to depend on him. But if we are able to be on our knees in heartfelt sorrow that we're not like him more and pouring out our souls to him, to the living Christ, he will pick the suckers off our life. And it will be far more gentle than if we have to go through trial. Notice what it says in Romans, the 15th chapter. Romans chapter 15. You're looking there at Romans 15 and verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached me fell on me. Now notice verse 4. For whatever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Here the scripture is saying to us that just as Christ's reproaches fell upon him, that his reproaches, these reproaches, will fall upon us at times as well. And these things were written for our learning. In fact, the book of Romans also puts it this way. He says, it says, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations works what? Patience. So God, the divine pruner, at times allows the knife to come to our life. Why? Acts of the Apostles, page 524. Trials and obstacles are God's chosen methods of discipline and his appointed conditions of success. He who reads the hearts of men knows their weakness better than they know themselves. He sees that some of qualifications, which if rightly directed, could be used in the advancement of his work. In his providence. In his what, everybody? Providence. What does God do? He brings these souls into different positions in varied circumstances that they might discover the defects that have been concealed from their own knowledge. He gives them the opportunity to overcome these defects. So there are going to be times in my life that God puts me in a position that I do not want to be in to reveal to me what's deep down in my heart that I do not know is there. And Jesus, as the divine pruner, is going to come and prune those things out of my life. Why? Because he wants me to reflect his character, and he wants me to bear far more fruit to his glory. And in addition to that, he wants me to be more joyful in my Christian life. Now, when a branch is broken off from the vine, it may appear to live for a short time. You see, in my life, what way is it that I can abide in Christ and have the true sap of Christ coming into me? Well, first, as he prunes me. But secondly, as I spend time with him, as I abide in him. In the Christian life, if we lack prayer and Bible study, just like a branch, you take a branch on an apple tree, you can break that apple branch off, and it may have some apples on it. You can put it on the ground, and I can come by an hour later, and the apples still look pretty good, don't they? I can go by two hours later, the apples look good. But what really happens to those apples after a while? They're going to rot, aren't they? So any Christian that's not abiding in Christ and allowing Jesus to do this pruning work in their heart, they may look good for a while, 
But after a while, what's going to take place? There's going to be some rotting there. So what does Jesus say? Let's go back and look at the heart of this. You're back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're looking at the very heart of the passage. Jesus tells us how to be fruit bearers. Jesus is saying in John 15 verse 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the secret of bearing fruit is abiding. What does it mean to abide in Christ? To abide in Christ is to quietly rest in his care. To constantly remain in his presence. To sensitively listen to his voice. To actively feast on his word. Abiding in Christ means a daily receiving of his spirit and a life of unreserved surrender to his service. Just as the life of the vine flows to every branch and produces fruit, as we abide in Christ, the life of Christ flows into us. Just like the vine branch constantly draws sap from the living vine, as we're united to Christ, we receive from him the source of life, the source of strength, the source of all victory. We unite our weakness to his strength, our emptiness to his fullness, our frailty to his enduring might. Now notice, what does Jesus say in John 15 verse 3? What does he say in John 15 3? Without me you can do some things. Without me, you can do a few things. Without me, you can do what? Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Now, I want you to think about that. Think about this expression. Roll it around in your mind. Try to look at the depths of it. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Let's think it through. Without his teaching, his life, and his example, we would have no conception of all of the highest moral ideal. No conception of how to react under trial. No conception of how to deal with temptation. No conception of how to live victorious Christian life. Without his death, we would have no pardon for our sins, no forgiveness for our failures, no freedom from the condemnation of a guilty conscience. Without his resurrection, we would have no hope of life beyond the grave. Without his intercession in the heavenly sanctuary, we would have no hope of victory over the shackles of sin and deliverance from bondage. Without his mediation... We could not enjoy the favor of God. Without his love, we would not feel the mightiest motive to move the heart to duty and action. Without his spirit, we would be left alone to battle with sin and could not experience the mighty power to deliver our feeble souls. Without his promises, where would we be without his promises? We'd be left alone to struggle against the trials, tribulations, and perplexities of life. Without the assurance of his soon return, we'd be left on a barren, hopeless planet. In Jesus, and through Jesus, and because of Jesus, without him we can do nothing. But with him, we have everything we need. Why should we neglect the joy of his presence? Why rush through life as if spending time with him did not matter? Why trifle with eternity and become an unfruitful branch? Why not abide? Why not remain? Why not stay in his presence and let his grace wash over us? Why not feast on his word and let his promises transform us? 
why not meditate upon his goodness and behold his character until we're changed, profoundly changed? Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365.